We are in the second Sunday of our series through the book of Acts. It's going to be about a 14-week series or so. Walking through the book of Acts, seeing, we're looking at the origins of the church. We're really just beginning to see, we'll see this develop more as time goes on, that the church is a community of faith. It's a community of people, a community of faith. We saw last week how the church is both global, and we are part of the global church, but also the church is local. And so we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But last week, we saw in the first part of Acts chapter 1 that Jesus, just before he ascended back into heaven, that he gave his followers a mission. And what was that mission? It was to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we unpacked that idea of being witnesses to the ends of the earth and really came to the understanding and, and saw that, that what Jesus was asking his disciples to be was to be his representatives in the world. That they were to make Jesus obvious to the world, to make Jesus non-ignorable. And so then in that moment, the church was established and we talked about how the church, we talked about what is the church. There's all kinds of ideas out there. What is the church? What is a good, proper definition of the church? And the church is simply this. It is true believers of all time. True believers of all time. Those who are true believers in the work of Christ for all time. And we saw that one of the beauties of, be, of entering into a relationship with God, entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ, is that we also enter into a community, the church. And we saw again how that church is global. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But also that we have the church is local. We have the local church together, a community of faith. But as, this, as the church, we are not given just a, a simple, boring existence. The church is not to be boring or stale or pointless. No, really, we have a purpose. We are, have a mission that we are striving and working to together. And that's simply being the representatives of Jesus Christ to the world. We talked about that even in our worship, as we gather, to, gather for worship, and we'll see this more as we journey through the book of Acts, that when the early church gathered together for worship, it was to grow to be more like Jesus so that they could go into the world to show what Jesus was like to the world. And that's a huge task. We saw that. That is an awesome task. And sometimes we use that word awesome as that's really neat or that's really cool, but really this is an awesome task in that it's huge. It's an intimidating task of being the witnesses to the ends of the earth for Jesus. But thankfully, Jesus did not leave us, the church, hanging, trying to figure out how to do this, but he told his followers that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit. That they would be, yes, a church on mission, but a church empowered. And we saw the beauties of that. And one of the constant themes in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Now, I know for some of us, the idea we're really comfortable, I said this last week, we're really comfortable with God the Father. We're really comfortable with God the Son. We're really comfortable with the Holy Bible. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we get a little nervous. Because the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts in some crazy things happen. And so we're going to unpack a little bit more today. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Francis Chan, a pastor, a preacher that I have much respect for, he calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. 
that in our evangelical circles, we don't really like talking about the Holy Spirit because other uh, brothers and sisters have kind of uh, misinterpreted the Holy Spirit and and taken it off the deep end a little bit. But we're going to talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and really how the Holy Spirit is God's presence for the church and in our individual lives. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the last part of the first chapter of the book of Acts, or first chapter of Acts. We're going to look here at the last part there, and we're going to discover two more beauties that the church has. And my prayer is that we continue to to mine out these truths about the church, that if maybe you could be here and you could be skeptical about the church, and I think you have the right to be. I believe that the church throughout history has um, done some things that are not appropriate, that have done some things that are even embarrassing, But as we look and we begin to continue to walk through the book of Acts, that we'll understand what the church is truly meant to be. How God really designed the church. And that'll be motivating for us to plug into the local church and to be motivated to be the representatives of Christ here on the corner of 83rd and State Line. But before we read this section of scripture here the last part of Acts, we need to understand something about the book of Acts, and we, this is a review from last week. We need to understand that Acts is both is historical. It's both historical and prescriptive. It's historical in that the writer of Luke, uh, the writer of Acts is Luke. He's a historian, and simply what he's doing is he's showing us what, this is what they did, this is what happened, and this is where it happened. There's a lot of Acts in that. We're not, as a faith family, going to spend a lot of time in that. We're going to spend a little bit of time in that this morning. But we're not going to spend a lot of time in that historical part of Acts together. But it's just simply, this is what they did, this is what happened. But Acts is also prescriptive. It's prescriptive. It's that genre of literature, of scripture. It's prescriptive. There are parts in it where it's definitely prescribing something for us as the church to do today and also in our individual lives. So, as we can begin to read here in just a second, here at the last part of Acts chapter 1, we need to understand that this chapter, this section is both historical and prescriptive. And I'm going to show you the differences here in just a second. But let's start here in Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 12. It says this, Then they, those who Jesus was talking to before he ascended into heaven, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, All of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up, and if you know anything about Peter, of course Peter stood up. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons in all, about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that all the field was called in their own language, Alkadama, that is, field of blood. 
For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp be desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two who have chosen to take place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. All right, so what's going on here? There's some interesting things here that we need to unpack. Well, first of all, from a big picture standpoint, these followers of Jesus, his church, about 120 of them, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, they went back to Jerusalem. And there was something that they needed to figure out. And what was it? What were they trying to figure out here? Talk to me, it's okay. They needed someone to replace Judas, right? They needed someone to replace Judas. Why? Well, if you remember, Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. He turned Jesus over to the Roman authorities and to the the religious leaders, to him eventually being crucified. And he betrayed Jesus. He turned him over for some money, 30 pieces of silver. And then Judas ended up committing suicide out of his guilt. So, long story short, they had boiled it down to two men. A guy named Barsabas and a guy named Matthias. They prayed about it. They cast lots. The lot fell on Matthias and he replaces Judas. That's it, right? That's it. So we can go home now. Some of you might even like that if we were to go home right now. But there's a lot more to this that we need to sort through together here in order so we can grow to become more like Jesus. So let's start with the most confusing part of this passage of Scripture, which is what? The casting of lots. What is going on here? Is this historical or is this prescriptive? If this is prescriptive, then we need to start casting lots around here. That means on Friday night at our game night, we're going to get the dice out and we're going to start making decisions for the church. Rolling the dice, right? So if this is prescriptive, that's what we need to be doing. No, this is definitely historical. So let's talk about this for a second. What was going on here? Were they playing Monopoly to figure out who needed to replace Judas? Is this something that we need to be doing today in the church? Well... Let's understand the history of casting lots for a moment. We need to understand the history of this. Casting lots is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned seven times in the New Testament. And we often think of it as rolling dice, but it could have been anything to cast lots. Sometimes they would use sticks of various lengths, kind of like drawing straws. Sometimes we'd take flat stones like coins or some kind of dice. What the exact nature of casting lots is, we're not sure. But the closest modern practice today would be like flipping a coin. So when you watch the NFL, they're casting lots to see who gets the ball first, all right? That's kind of a a modern practice to casting lots is flipping a coin. And they would use this to discern God's will. Does anyone know an Old Testament example of them casting lots to figure out God's will? Anyone got an example of this? 
Jonah, I heard someone whisper it, Jonah, right? Remember in the middle of that terrible storm that was happening and they were going to cast lots to figure out who they needed to throw overboard. Well, the lot fell on Jonah and it was found out that that was God's will that Jonah needed to be tossed over to fish and, and when we know the story. That, that was a method to discern God's will and it was okay in the Old Testament to do that. They cast lots to divide up the clothes of Jesus at his crucifixion. And here in Acts 1, it's okay. Because remember, there's a key thing and fact that we need to understand here. They did not have the Holy Spirit yet. The Holy Spirit was not here. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, as it indwells the believer, is that the Holy Spirit helps us discern God's will. But because the Holy Spirit had not come yet, and we're going to see that next week in Acts chapter 2... Because the Holy Spirit had not come yet, they needed a way to discern God's will. So they cast lots and they trusted Jesus to make his choice known. However, casting lots after the Holy Spirit shows up, we never see casting lots shown again because the Spirit comes. So, do we need to start rolling dice around here to make decisions for our church? We're getting ready to present the budget to you all as a church. Does that mean we need to start rolling dice and casting lots and drawing straws to make sure that we're doing the right thing in our budget? No, not at all. Does that mean that, that you know, in our own personal lives, like when we go to lunch this afternoon, does that mean we need to start rolling dice to figure out where, what God's will for us uh, to eat lunch, or do we need to start casting lots to figure out where we're supposed to go to college, or what career we're supposed to have, or who we're supposed to marry, or financial decisions? Is that what we do? No. Because today we have the Holy Spirit, God indwelling in our lives, and one of His roles is that He helps us discern God's will. But here's something that we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit just like we do casting lots. We manipulate the Holy Spirit. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can even allow our own preferences, our own desires, our own will to be interpreted to ourselves as the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been around someone who said, this is what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do, and then you kind of see what happens, you're like, that is really dumb. Like, surely that is not God's presence in your life telling you this is your will for your life. Like, I've heard that before. People say, well, this is what the Holy Spirit's telling me. And you just take a step back, they do it, and you're like, I don't know if that's really what the Holy Spirit was telling you. Because here's the reality. We are depraved. We are sinful. And we can even allow our own preferences, our own desires, our own will, and we can get to the point in our lives where we think that's even the Holy Spirit telling us to do something. We can tell ourselves just because we feel a certain way, well, that must be the Holy Spirit telling me to do this. Or we tell the Holy Spirit telling us to do something that's contrary to God's will. Because here's what we need to remember when it comes to the Holy Spirit helping us discern things is Jeremiah 17, 9. Write that down. Jeremiah 17, 9. What does that passage of Scripture say? It says this. The heart is deceitful and is desperately wicked. Who can know it? One of the reasons why God has provided the Holy Spirit to us as believers and to the church is because our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately wicked. 
who can know it. There's this idea in our culture, just trust yourself, trust your heart. No, that's terrible advice. Don't do that because our hearts can deceive us. Don't trust your heart when it comes to making life decisions. If you're a believer, one of the benefits of being the believer is you have the presence of the Holy Spirit to discern your motives, to discern your preferences and your desires, and to help you discern God's will for your life. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say, says this. One of the most famous passages of Scripture, if you know it, quote it with me. It says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Folks, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're in my life. Don't, the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 doesn't say, 6 does not say, trust in the Lord and do what you want, or trust in the Lord and rely on your own preferences. Trust in the Lord with your, all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and then He will direct your paths. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So you might be sitting there saying, Adam, how do I know the Holy Spirit? is helping me discern God's will. Like, if I'm coming to a decision, if we're coming to a decision as a church, how do we know that is the Holy Spirit's discernment? That's a great question. Well, one, one first, number one, check with Scripture. Check with Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never ask you and I to do anything that is contrary to Scripture. So check with Scripture. We have scriptures given under the inspiration of God. And we understand that God's word is inerrant. There's no errors in it. We can trust scripture. Scripture is trustworthy. Check with scripture. And then number two, check with other trusted, mature believers. Find some trusted, mature believers in your life that you can ask these questions. Hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this. What do you think? Because here's the reality, quite frankly, other people have a, sometimes a better and different perspective on our lives. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in thinking our own avenue and running in our own lane and having our own perspective on our lives. Sometimes it's good first to check with scripture and then check with another mature, trusted believer. Because as it says in Proverbs 15, 22, and a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. So in our own individual lives and in the life of the church, we have the Holy Spirit to discern God's will. Aren't you glad we don't have to cast lots in our lives anymore? We don't have to cast a dice or draw straws or anything else to discern God's will for our lives and for our church. We have the Holy Spirit. And that's the beauty of the church. It's because the leader is not a human leader of the church. Who's the leader? Who's the head of the church? It's Jesus. And he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And now I want to show us another benefit and beauty of the church, this community of faith. So look again at verse 14 of Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 14. All right, chapter 1, verse 14. And it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. If you're one that likes to highlight, underline, circle things in your Bible, underline that phrase, they were devoting themselves to prayer. 
And now look, skip down to verse 24. All right, hold that thought. Go down to verse 24 and it says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So what did they do here? Peter stands up and says, we need to find a replacement for Judas. That's a big deal. This is a big decision. This is going to set the tone for this community of faith, this new, the church. This is a big decision to make. And so Peter says that we need to find a replacement. And what do they do even before they casted lots? What did they do? They, get, they formed a committee, right? They formed a committee, and that committee sat down and they talked and tried to find someone else to do the job. And they sat down and they talked and then it went to another committee and it sat there for a couple of years, right? Like it does in some of our churches today. Or they formed a, a committee and it went to a business meeting and they took a vote. Is that what they did? No, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. This is what's amazing about a relationship with God. This is what is amazing about being a part of the church and being a believer is this. God in his sovereignty has ordained it that we as the church and as individuals get to participate in his redemptive work through prayer. Isn't that amazing? That we get to participate with God in his work through prayer. That's how God, who's all-powerful, he's sovereign, he still allows us to play a part in it through prayer. Prayer is not just individual. It's also corporate. And we have prayer in an individual way. If you're a believer here this morning, you have equal access to God as anyone else in this room. You have equal access to God as I do. I am not a priest. Why? Because you have as much access to God as I do. It's called the priesthood of believer, that we all have equal access to God through prayer. We don't have to pray to a priest. We get to pray directly to God. We have direct access to God. That is the priesthood of believers. Prayer is not just individual. Oftentimes we can think that prayer is just individual, that we sit down and we pray, and we pray for our family, we pray for maybe those who are sick, and we pray for wisdom, and that's good things. We should do that. We should pray individually. But Scripture, almost as many times as it talks about individual prayer, talks about corporate prayer. So this prayer, prayer as for the church, is not just individual, it is corporate. And we will see this constantly in Acts. These people are always praying. And they're not just praying on their own, they're praying together. The church is always praying, not just separately, but corporately. And look again at verse 14. It says that they were praying, they were devoting themselves to prayer. All these first few words of verse 14, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So we're going to see this prayer. There's two characteristics of their prayer. First of all, it was prayer in unity. There was a uniting in their prayer. It says they all with one accord were praying. They were praying together beyond in their assembly and their congregation and the activity of just praying. But they were praying with the same mind or purpose. That word together there of one accord in Greek is homothymodon. That's kind of a cool word. Say that time, ten times fast. Homothymodon. And it goes beyond just praying together. Like we could just pray. We could all just stop right now and pray together. That doesn't mean we're praying with one accord. 
This idea of praying with one accord, this homothymodon, it implies that the prayer is together for the same purpose. Praying together for the same purpose. So they're praying together for the same purpose. What was that purpose? To find a replacement for Judas. They're praying together. It was uniting. Their prayer was uniting, but it also it was persevering. It was persistent. In verse 14, it says they were devoting themselves to prayer. Or maybe you have a different translation than I have. It might say constantly. They were constantly in prayer. This is another cool Greek word. It says prokastero, which means to be persistent. They're praying. They did. It was constant. It was persistent. It was habitual. They're praying. Their prayer, and we'll see this through Acts, it was a core value of their church. It was a pillar of their church. They're constantly praying, praying with unity, praying together. One scholar says that I read this week that said, there's nothing more unifying for a church than to pray together. Prayer is crucial for the community of faith. The church must be praying together, united, persistent, because with the discernment of the Holy Spirit, here's the formula here. With the discernment of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us and prayer, God's will is made known. It is through the discernment of the Holy Spirit and prayer that God's will is made known. So let's start on an individual basis. It is in your life in my life, through the discernment of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in you and through prayer, God's will can be made known to you. But what's the problem? So many times we don't listen to the Holy Spirit and we don't pray. And no wonder our lives are in complete chaos. And just as the same as it is in our individual lives, so it is in the church. Through the discernment of the Holy Spirit and through prayer, God's will is made known to his church. And how many times do churches rely on their own understanding? They try to figure out themselves. There's no discernment with the Holy Spirit. There's no prayer. And no wonder so many churches across North America are dying. Because there's no discernment and there's no prayer. It is only through prayer that we, through prayer and the Holy Spirit, that 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 God's will is made known in the church. And here I find that refreshing. Don't you? I find it refreshing because it's not through the intellect of one person is not through the creativity of somebody it's not even some great strategy that god's will is made known to his church it is through the holy spirit in prayer that the holy spirit and god's will is made known here's some quotes for you andrew murray a great writer on prayer from a couple hundred years ago he said the congregation that does not pray together is essentially defective in its organization and so must be limited in its efficiency. Richard Burr, a writer on prayer, he said, A church is never more like the New Testament church than when it is praying. Isaac Watts, we sing his hymns all the time. Isaac Watts says, The church is never more united than when it's intercessing together. The church is never more united than when it's intercessing together. Folks, if we want to see God at work here in in our local church, if we want to see God at work in our lives, and if we want to see God at work in the global church, we must rely on two things, the Holy Spirit and through prayer. And it's those two things coupled together that God does big things. 
And we'll continue to see that through the, whole, the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of prayer, God shows up. And we're going to see that here in Acts chapter 2 next week. Let's, let's, let's bow for prayer. During our time of worship through response, Roxanne's going to just play quietly. And it may be this morning that you want and need to spend some time in individual prayer, that maybe you're facing some life decisions and, and you just need to spend some time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to discern for you God's will. And that's fine if you need to do that. But here's what I'd like for us to do as a church I would like for us to gather with someone close to you and let's with one accord, just like they did here in Acts chapter 1, no, we're not looking for someone to replace one of the disciples or the apostles, no, but let's gather together with one accord and pray together with one purpose. And here's this purpose I want us to pray for. That we would see people, because it's all about people, that we as Leewood Church would see people saved, discipled, and then sent out. That we as a church would share Jesus, disciple believers, and reach the nations. We talked about that in the weeks leading up to Easter, and we need to spend some time in prayer about those things. It's big picture for our church. So let's pray big picture right now. That's okay. So with one accord, with one purpose, just as they did 2,000 years ago, let's pray together. Let's pray. Let's unite together in prayer and pray that we will see people saved, discipled, and sent out from this church. So gather with someone close to you. If God's working in your heart and you just need to pray individually, you can come pray here at the altar and just ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment and some things in your life. But let's spend some time in prayer as the church, as the true body of true believers in Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Find someone close to you to pray with. You've 
given us the opportunity to participate with you in your redemptive work through prayer. We also thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, thank you that we don't have to cast lots anymore. That we don't have to cast lots to figure out your will for us in our individual lives and in the lives of our church, but that you've given us the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. And Holy Spirit, we ask for that discernment. We need your help. We recognize, as it says in Jeremiah 79, that our hearts are deceitful, they're wicked, and we can't even fully understand our own hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, we need your help to help us to interpret and discern what you're doing in our lives and in the life of our church. And then, God, we ask that we as a church here at Leewood, Lord, we desperately want to be your representatives to this world. I pray you would give us the boldness to go out from this place, even here in the next few minutes, to just go out and, and to be your, your representatives to the world, that when the people, when people interact with us, that they'd see Jesus, they would understand Jesus in a greater, weather, uh, great, greater way. And then I pray that we as a church, Lord, that we would be seeking as a church to find these people and to show them Jesus, they would come to know you and enter into a relationship with you, and that we would, you'd give us wisdom and discernment on how to best disciple people, to, make, to, to help them become more mature followers of you, and then that we can send them out to the world to be your representatives. Help us to do that. We need your help. We can't do that on our own. There's no grand strategy. There's no personality good enough to make that happen. It's got to be your work. And so we pray that you would do that work. They would see people over and over saved, discipled, and sent out. We'd see that process repeat itself over and over again. We want to glorify you. We want to, to make you known to the ends of the earth. So I pray you would do that in our individual lives and also in the life of our church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.